To all who come to this happy place, welcome. Hello and welcome to the Kingswell Avenue Podcast. I'm Paul Newhouse. This is a show about the Walt Disney Company and what I like to call its four pillars. The Disney Studios, Marvel Studios, Lucasfilm, and Pixar. On a weekly basis, I'll be looking at Disney in the news as well as taking a deep dive into a person, place, or thing which I believe had an impact on the company and its history. And I'll be doing all of this, generally speaking, in short episodes so you can get a dose of Disney and get on with your life. As usual, let's start with the news. For the last couple of weeks, I've been watching Marvel 616, a documentary series about the history, culture, and impact of Marvel Comics. In our last podcast, we covered episodes 3 and 4, which means it's time for 5 and 6. The show's fifth installment examines the cosplay subculture, specifically people who create and wear costumes honoring their favorite Marvel heroes. At the risk of sounding like a grump, I must admit my interest in the subject matter was quite low going in, and honestly, no higher coming out. It's a simple matter of this episode not being for me. While I admire the enthusiasm and craftsmanship of the six or eight people the story follows, I was bored nevertheless. Obviously, if you're interested in cosplay and cosplayers yourself, you'll dig it more than I did. Show number six was more fun for me as it delves into the Marvel toy lines. Executives and artists from Toy Biz, Hasbro, and Funko are interviewed, and we take a trip to the last pre-COVID New York Toy Fair. It was fun to see how toys are designed, prototyped in 3D software, turned into physical objects, and painted. One thing nearly everyone interviewed spotlights is how, once the toys get into kids' hands, they become tools for the kids to make their own stories. I believe that's a fair conclusion, and it really makes the work these guys and gals do worthwhile. Anyway, next time we'll conclude our journey with Marvel 616. Episode 6 of The Mandalorian aired this week, and it was a doozy. It's hard to talk about it without getting into spoilers, so consider yourself warned. First of all, the direction by independent action director Robert Rodriguez was on point. I'm sure he was keen to helm this one as soon as they told him what he'd get to do. Resurrect beloved bounty hunter Boba Fett back into canon. If you're only a casual fan of the Star Wars saga, you may remember Boba Fett was the bounty hunter sent by Jabba the Hutt to capture Han Solo. He seemed to meet an untimely demise in Return of the Jedi when he was ingested by a giant sand slug called a Sarlacc. Anyway, Fett is not only alive, and moderately well, he ends up being an unexpected ally to our heroes when Imperials attack them on the planet Tython. Following Ahsoka Tano's advice from last week, Mando takes Grogu to that location so the child can commune with the Force in an ancient Jedi temple there. Commune he does, but that's when the bad guys show up. Boba Fett and his sidekick Fennec Shand, played again by last season's Ming-Na Wen, help fend off the stormtroopers who show up to kidnap Grogu. As usual, the stormtroopers are taken out easily, but our heroes are no match for Moff Gideon's dark troopers, flying robotic soldiers made of black metal. We're left with a cliffhanger in two episodes remaining. John Favreau and his team are doing a terrific job this season keeping us on the hook. I'm looking forward to next week, and I have no idea at all how things are going to wrap up. Two more quick points on The Mandalorian. Those Dark Troopers I mentioned came from a 1995 video game called Dark Forces. Dark Forces was a first-person shooter, and the Dark Troopers were enemies your character had to square off against. Definitely a deep cut. Also this week, I picked up the book The Art of the Mandalorian. 
For me, this was a given since I've bought every single Star Wars art book since the first in 1977. This new one definitely holds up the proud tradition of the series by showcasing designs for aliens, costumes, sets, spaceships, and weapons. Everything you see in Star Wars has to be conceptualized and built by regular humans, and the art of books are a wonderful window into that process. The Art of the Mandalorian covers the first season and goes for around 25 bucks on Amazon. It's a steal at that price. Let's move from the news into our deep dive. I thought we'd lay down some groundwork for a phrase you're likely to hear on this program from time to time. The Nine Old Men. Those of you who are into classic hand-drawn animation have probably heard the term before. It comes from a nickname Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave to his Supreme Court. Walt Disney, with his tongue firmly in cheek, co-opted it as a descriptor for his most elite animators, the men who had been with him the longest and whose work set the standard for more junior members of the staff. But it wasn't just a social club. Around 1945, the most senior men were brought together in a body to oversee the needs and concerns of the department. By the 1950s, there were nine of them attending the meetings, and Disney gave them the label. In truth, the need for such a body came about thanks to Walt's wandering interests. Disney had a tendency to take something up and wring everything he could out of it before moving on to something else. In the 1930s and early 40s, it was animation. In the 1950s, it was theme parks. In the 1960s, it was city planning. If Disney had lived to supervise the building of his experimental prototype community, or city, of tomorrow, Central Florida would have seen a very different attraction than the one they eventually got in the early 80s. Walt died of lung cancer in 1966 at the relatively young age of 65. It's fun to imagine what he might have gotten himself into had he hung around another decade or so. But I digress. Walt used the Nine Old Men as both a bureaucratic body and a promotional tool for an area of filmmaking he'd lost interest in. Though he, of course, poked in his head from time to time, he left the day-to-day to the Nine. In addition to that, the old-school animators were responsible for keeping the art form alive after Disney passed away. They did this by training a new generation of artists and by directing and animating the features of the 1970s. It seems only fitting that I list each of the men and give you a little about them. Don't worry, you won't have to memorize any of this, and I'm sure these guys will come up again, collectively and singly, in future episodes. Here they are in the order of their births. Eric Larson was born in 1905. He did Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Fox, and Br'er Bear in Song of the South, as well as the Flight Over London sequence from Peter Pan. Les Clark was born in 1907. He worked on features all the way through 1955, but his specialty was animating Mickey Mouse. Milt Call was born in 1909 and was probably the most skilled artist of the bunch, in addition to being the most irascible. He was known for doing Tigger in the Winnie the Pooh featurettes and for Shere Khan from The Jungle Book. Wolfgang Wooly Reitherman was also born in 1909. He was a producer and director in the latter years, but as an animator, he's known for Monstro the Whale from Pinocchio and the Headless Horseman from The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. John Lounsbury was born in 1911. He did The Elephants in the Jungle Book and co-directed Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2, as well as The Rescuers. Ollie Johnston was born in 1912. His work was often very sensitive and emotional. He did The Stepsisters in Cinderella and Prince John in Robin Hood. Frank Thomas was also born in 1912, which is fitting since he and Johnston were often joined at the hip. So much so they were nicknamed Frank and Ollie. All one word. 
There's even a documentary about the two of them called Frank and Ollie, which you can watch on Disney+. Plus. I can't recommend it highly enough. Thomas was responsible for a lot of classic scenes at Disney, but his best-known work is the spaghetti-eating sequence from Lady and the Tram, as close to iconic as you can get. Incidentally, Thomas and Johnston wrote a book called Disney Animation, The Illusion of Life in 1981. It's still in print, and it's still a Bible of sort for animators. I have a copy myself. Mark Davis was born in 1913. He was a terrific draftsman who did Tinkerbell and Peter Pan and Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty. He also did a lot of work for the theme parks, his most notable contribution being the design of the characters in Pirates of the Caribbean. That brings us, finally, to the youngest member of the nine, Ward Kimball. Ward was born in 1914, and his brand was zany. He did Jiminy Cricket and Pinocchio, but was better known for broad, manic sequences from movies like The Three Caballeros. None of the nine old men are still with us. Ollie was the last to pass at the age of 96 in 2008. All of them have been inducted into the in-house Hall of Fame Disney Legends, and they all had the Windsor McKay Award, an industry honor bestowed upon them. Anyway, I wanted to make you aware of the nine since you'll be hearing about them again in future episodes. Also, I'll conclude with an anecdote. I live in Southern California and was lucky enough to attend a talk given at a museum by Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston. Frank and Ollie. You have to understand that I've been a fan of Disney animation my whole life, so seeing them in person was a big deal. This was in the early 2000s, so the two men were already quite elderly. You wouldn't have known it from their behavior, however. Both were spry, alert, and fun. In fact, Thomas's walker was covered with stickers, and he had a little bike horn, which he honked from time to time. I'm so steeped in the history of Disney animation, none of what they had to say surprised me, but it's a memory I'll always appreciate. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. I'd like to say goodbye, I'd like to say thank you for listening, and I'd like to ask you to drop us a review on iTunes, if you can spare the time. I'm Paul Newhouse, this has been the Kingswell Avenue Podcast. Have a great week.